0: Hey, Trojan fans, get ready for the Trojan Blast podcast. The Trojan Blast is like our regular Peristyle podcast with a little twist. You can download all of our podcasts 24 hours a day, seven days a week at peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Trojan Blast podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hey, welcome back. This is the Parastyle Podcast Trojan Blast Recruiting Edition. We took a week off and we are back again with our very special guest, Gerard Martinez, USCFootball.com, national recruiting analyst, answering all of your USC football recruiting questions. What's up, Gerard? Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me, as usual. It's been a pretty interesting couple of weeks for USC football <laughs> recruiting, it's been a pretty interesting month for USC football recruiting. Uh, it seems like every, what, hour there's something new breaking?
0: It was definitely daily. And uh, I think on Saturday I was tra- – <laughs> you you gave me some frantic calls. I told you Saturday, dude, I'm taking the day off. And then the more stuff was breaking. But it seems like it doesn't matter what days you pick. There's something that's going to be happening with USC football recruiting. It's just crazy.
1: Yeah. Day off is kind of, for me, like you just taking like a couple hours off or something. <laughs> so there's really no day off. There's been seven day. Weeks uh, throughout the month of July, which is interesting because usually, as I said before, July tends to be the dead month for recruiting. And so that's, you know, if you need to get something done, if you want to try to take, you know, a few days off for vacation, just get away, go to Vegas, that's when you do it. You do it in July, which is always lovely because Vegas in July is lovely. But nonetheless, you take the time when you can get it. But this month, there's been no time. And now we've got a week until fall camp. So, uh, no
0: rest for the Wicked. There is definitely no rest for the Wicked. And I guess the biggest news lately wasn't necessarily recruiting, but Lane Kiffin was treating it like a recruiting trip. And and I guess I guess it is recruiting because the NCAA treats those players that could transfer out of the Penn State program as recruits. Silas Redd, the true junior uh, running back who was a U.S. Army All-American a couple years ago with Robert Woods and a few other Trojans, decided to make himself a former Penn State running back and is coming to USC. How did, what did you think about how that all went down?
1: Well, it was definitely a recruitment, and it definitely was a process. You know, USC had to first and foremost kind of look at the numbers, figure out where they were uh, from a scholarship standpoint. Then they had to see evaluation-wise whether Silas Red was going to be a player that they felt could contribute for them. And then after making that evaluation process – uh, going out and trying to actually court him and get him to officially visit USC. That was a big deal. We knew that if he was going to come all the way out to Southern California and visit, then USC had a, probably a better than 50-50 chance. Before that point, we were hearing he was probably going to stay. Um, it seemed like you know that core group of Penn State players were all announcing that they wanted to stay together, and it seemed like, you know, there was a lot of unity there, which we saw at USC with their core group guys when sanctions were levied. Um, So, you know, once he actually came out for the official visit and his family came out, that was pretty significant. Then you knew, you know, USC's batting average right now as far as getting commitments after visits is pretty high so uh, it wasn't really changing even though this was a little different situation because Silas Red is is a transfer not just a high school signee.
0: Um, Well there's a lot of you mentioned the scholarship talk and I guess we should probably just jump into that right now because it's it's a big topic you know topic about how is USC going to fit this player in there and You know when I was tweeting about this, and you know there's basically two different options. One, if a a player uh, from the class of 2012 uh, did not make it into school and wasn't admitted and didn't didn't come to USC, then that would free up a spot, and Silas Red could transfer in. Or because USC is at the 75 limit already, uh, one of the current walk-ons that had been given a scholarship could go back off of scholarship and still play, and there wouldn't be any issues except for for that player. Um, they wouldn't have a scholarship anymore uh, taking care of that is that. What is your general understanding of, of how the scholarship stuff works? Because it, it can be very confusing.
1: Well, I know what I've been told, which is basically the same thing that you've been told from compliance standpoint, that uh, you know, right now to, to be under that 75, Will Andrews is the guy that doesn't have that scholarship for uh for Silas Red. And then we kinda see what happens with Darius Rogers uh from the two thousand twelve class. He academically right now is not on campus. Um he's taking some secondary school courses uh to try to get in. He won't probably know whether he's going to be eligible or not until About a week after school starts, it looks like he would probably be in that time frame as we saw with Nick Perry, Curtis McNeil, uh, Buck Allen, a few different freshmen that uh, took a little extra time in summer school to be able to get in and qualify for USC. That's probably the earliest we're going to know about Darius Rogers. So it kind of shifts between those two spots, the walk-on spot uh, that Will Andrews has right now or that 2012 scholarship spot that Darius Rogers has. Um, It becomes much more complicated when you start to take into account kind of what USC seems to be doing right now in terms of recruiting 2013. I'm not even really going to get into that just because it becomes so complicated and convoluted that you and I both have talked it through and crushed the numbers and we can't seem to figure out exactly what's going on. So we're still going to gather more information and try to get a little more of an understanding. Obviously, Silas Red, his transfer is basically the same as Josh Shaw's as far as we know. The only difference would be because Silas Red is coming from a program that is under sanctions, maybe there's some loopholes, maybe there's some changes as to how his scholarship, how that ride um, counts against the total seventy five and the class seventy five it's it's pretty complicated, but I just understand it the same way you understand it um, with just a little more knowledge as to where USC is going with the recruiting process right now and how that kind of confuses everybody involved.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and for what, just to let people know, from what I was told from compliance, and this happened with Josh Shaw as well, when a player transfers in there, there's two types of ways to count scholarships. And you saw the USC sanctions uh, for both of these initial counters and total counters, overall counters, Um, USC, was docked 10 scholarships for initial counters, meaning they could bring in 15 a year instead of 25. They were docked 10 scholarships for overall counters, which means they could keep 75 on the roster instead of 85. It was different for Penn State. They got the same initial counter um, number, 10, although it's for one more year, for four years. So they can bring in 15 a year, just like USC can, but their overall counter number has to be 65. So they're 10 down overall. Um, so what, when a transfer comes in, from what I was told by compliance, is he counts as both an initial counter and an overall counter. So that's where the kind of confusion comes in. If a walk-on does give up his scholarship, that doesn't free up an initial count. Um, so that would take up one of the early enrollee rides that come in. Uh, and then what Gerard is saying is, yeah, maybe there's something different with the sanctions. We already know they didn't make an exception for USC as far as the overall number. They, USC couldn't keep 76 people on the roster because they're currently under sanctions. Um, like other schools can. So another school, like if, if you know, Cal took uh, the uh, Penn State running back, if they were already at 85 scholarships, they could, bu- they could bump up to 86 for this year and then just have to be 84 the following year. Uh, the NCAA said specifically you can't do that for teams like USC and Ohio State because they're under scholarship sanctions. So obviously it can be very confusing. I guess the most important thing, Gerard, is that the coaches are, had no issues. They're confident they can bring him in and then we'll have to see uh, where the rest of the chips fall.
1: Yeah, exactly. It definitely seems like they felt that they had room and they had the ability to bring him in. Um, there's also the little actress there with the difference between Shaw and Red, being that Shaw, actually, there was some flexibility in what class, what um, original class he would be paralleled with. Um, like you said, there's the... Uh, the overall number that you have to look at, and then there's the class number that you have to look at. And it's, you know, the 15 as opposed to the 75 or in USC's case because they were able to roll over some early enrollees. That 15 became 20, and then it became what we thought this year being 18 at this point. Um, with Red, because he's too, he has to be 2012 because he's coming in and playing this year, whereas Josh Shaw, when he came in, um he didn't necessarily have to play um, that he wasn't enrolling um, the year that he was going to be playing so he could actually fall back into the class that was before him which he could have counted for 2011 or 2012 so there was a little more flexibility with Joshawn when he transferred but as we understand it right now with Silas Red there's not that flexibility he's coming in this year he's going to be a part of that 2012 class um, you can't count him back to 2011 and you can't count him back to or count him ahead to 2013 because that Plus, 2013 obviously isn't going to play fall. So it would only be if he actually sat out a year that he could do that. So it definitely changes a little bit. Uh, and and that's what we have to kind of continue to, to just, you know, make sure that we don't get ahead of ourselves into what we know and what we've been told because we found out over time dealing with these sanctions and trying to understand the numbers that sometimes these things do change. And they are, if they're a little different. Sometimes a little difference can lead to a significant difference uh, with overall recruiting and the overall scholarship roster. So we're still trying to kind of piece some things together uh, again, really more so trying to understand where USC goes from this point with recruiting in the 2013 class. And like I said, I don't want to get into that too much, but right now they're at 18. There's been a little bit of talk. Maybe they might be able to get another guy in. We're trying to figure out how that's possible.
0: Okay. Um, so that's the Silas red stuff. There was also a kind of out of the blue uh, commitment that you broke, which you normally break these things anyway, but uh, maybe we we'll to talk about this, the defensive end from Texas.
1: Yeah, it wasn't necessarily out of the blue um, from a uh, from USC standpoint. I mean, they had been kind of working towards this for the past month, and uh, there had been a lot of talk uh, about uh, Tarodny Prevo. And I think really it was at that point, if USC's got one scholarship offer left. Who do they go after from a position standpoint? And we talk about this a lot on the podcast because a lot of people have questions. You know, Is it one of those things where you go after the best player available or do you go after the best player at a specific position that you need players at? And I think with USC there was definitely a debate. The best overall talent is definitely in the secondary, the defensive backs. This is a great class for defensive backs, and you have still got a number of really good players on the board: Tahan Goodman, Leon McQuay, um, you know Priest Willis. There's there's a few guys in the secondary that USC would love to recruit, but then you also look at the defensive line, and you just know how important defensive linemen are. And I had been hearing, you know, there's there's definitely kind of that fork in the road. You know, which way do they go? And I think it became one of those things where. Uh, it was, you know, whoever was ready to commit first. I think uh, Ed Erdron was definitely uh, pushing for defensive linemen. I mean, right now he's probably strapped and wishing he could have some of these guys on campus right now just to be able to have a rotation. And the defensive line, that's really one of the main things, is that that's a position across the board where you've got to have a deep rotation. If we've seen anything from the championship teams, Um, The past few years, it's that they've been superior on the defensive line because they've had deep defensive lines. And I I think with, you know, Tarani Prevo is a guy right now, 6'3", 205 pounds. He's certainly a ways away from where he's going to be as a college player, uh, but he's tremendously skilled. He's very fast. Um, it was kind of they were joking with him at some of the camps calling him a receiver uh, because he definitely doesn't look like uh, the big, you know, defensive end, especially down there at the five star challenge in Atlanta, where it seemed like every defensive lineman that was, was down there was six five, two hundred eighty 280 pounds. He definitely stood out from a standpoint of not being that big, but he is a speed rusher in the prototypical sense. And that's something that really USC has not had. And Ed Erdron has not had on this roster, he's not had a guy that's been a pure speed rusher. He's had a lot of guys that have been really more strong side defensive ends, guys who set the edge more than guys that come from the backside and make plays on the quarterback and make plays in the offensive backfield. Terodny, that guy, they just, you know, the week before got a commitment from Jason Hatcher, who's 6'2", 240 pounds, who's also very much a speed rusher and an explosive guy off the edge. He ran a uh, 4.68 at the opening in Oregon, uh, and his spark numbers were, you know, top 10 nationally, top 10 among all the players there. So you're looking at two guys that have tremendous speed tremendous explosiveness coming off the edge. There's a little bit of talk like maybe Prevo is a guy that could play some linebacker. Um, I think USC right now they're bringing him definitely as a weak side defensive end. I mean, Ed Orgeron was kind of the guy that was the lead recruiter on him and and the deal closer on him. Um, His area recruiter was Marvin Sanders and Marvin Sanders has done a tremendous job this year going into Texas and plucking out a number of guys in Texas and being obviously the defensive backs coach he's recruiting a lot of these guys that have committed in the defensive secondary, which is obviously the strength in this 2013 class. So, you know, overall, it was definitely one of those kind of surprising commitments for us just because we had not heard a lot about Prevo. He'd not talked a lot specifically about USC He'd gone out to Cal. He visited Cal a couple times, went to the Rising Stars camp, and was on campus for the Rising Stars camp. But even you know, after Rising Stars camp, he said great things about USC, but nothing that necessarily stood out. And the talk for a long time for him was going to be LSU, Oklahoma, maybe even TCU sneaking in there for him. And USC just seemed like one of those things where I think academically his uncle, who's kind of his guardian at this point, um, really – was, was, was really impressed with USC as a, as a private school. And I think the education and uh, the degree, um, he's a a junior high school teacher. So he was a guy that was really specific and really um, thorough and diligent in researching schools and researching academics and um, talking to him. I think that was the big difference between USC and with that, you know, last ride, maybe last two rides left, They just felt like, let's get in. Let's get our foot in the door. Let's make sure uh, that, you know, we get this spot because uh, we really like USC. We're still going to see what happens with the recruiting process from this point on with a lot of these commits, you know, Prevo included, because he's still going to take some official visits. Maybe even one to Oregon, he hasn't uh, set, you know, anything in stone yet.
0: Yeah, you almost forget about Jason Hatcher because, you know, soon after he committed, then you got the Prevo commitment. And then there's been so much talk with Silas Redd. There's been a lot of big news that didn't break that long ago. Just a <laughs> week within the last week or so, it's just crazy how much has been going on.
1: A tremendous amount of news, and uh, there's a lot of news that hasn't even really been released publicly, and we can't get into the specifics of those things, but. I just It was a great, great weekend for USC recruiting. And, uh, you know, you had Silas run on campus. That was going very well. Um, you had the Prevo commitment. You had other things working uh, in the background. It's just, you know, USC right now is kind of unstoppable with recruiting. <laughs> it just seems like if they're able to get a guy on campus, uh, they really can close the deal with just about anybody. And But it seems like the overall class, Lane Kiffin still wants to get this thing done before the start of fall camp. That just seems to be – kind of where it's going. I don't know if that's actually going to happen or not. And like I said before, we say the class will be done, you know, before the start of, of the season, and that's true to a certain extent. I think, you know, we're going to probably see a full amount of commitments before that point, but then there'll be a lull and then the recruiting process will start back up once a lot of these kids start taking official visits and you'll start seeing some wavering. And I've kind of already gone out on the limb and predicted I think you're going to see one – Maybe two decommitments from this class at some point. I just think it's kind of what happens. I think it's the trend. Um, I think that uh, you know maybe USC even might even come to some conclusions where they go, ah, you know what? I don't know if we need to recruit this guy as hard as we have recruited him as a commit you know guys start to look other places USC has to start to look other places cuz they really can't end up at a place in January where they've got one ride left and you know they've got somebody on the board who's kind of wishy-washy and going back and forth they need to get this done in July and they've already gotten a good preview of that already uh guys that Want to get that last spot and are just not sure and just not ready to pull the trigger, um, so it's kind of a a little bit of a dry run on what's going to happen closer to signing day. Although you know, but we're in July at this point.
0: And uh, and just to to note, and we talk about this quite a bit, but no one's had to do this before. So Lane Kiffin is doing this pretty much with blinders on, you know, trying to figure out what's the best method, what's the the strategy you should go through, you know, go for going through all of this. And uh, so far it's worked out well. I mean, I, I guess you could argue that last time there was, uh, um, you know, last class there was a few spots left open and, you know, they're using that for, you know, bringing in early enrollees for this class. Um, but certainly it, what he's been doing so far seemed to be working and people are getting all kind of flustered about numbers and things like that. But, you know, Lane Kiffin seems to have a pretty strong plan in place and, and that's what he's going with.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, um, and there is that little bit of margin of error when you talk about being able to kind of roll over some rides and that's, you know, obviously something that they can do for the 2014 class if not everything comes together on signing day for 2013. But USC's been very proactive more so than they've ever been uh, in my experience of, you know, covering their recruiting and, and how they go after guys. We've never really seen this type of blitzkrieg during the summer and trying to get in the whole class before the season even starts we've never seen it we've seen a bevy of early commitments and the class has been up around twelve fifteen you know i think we've seen that a couple times and they kind of leave it open for maybe four or five spots down towards the end of signing day in january for some of the bigger five-star guys that want to wait But this year it's been, look, the class is going to be done at some point. Either you're in or you're out. And the kids are responding and saying, we want in. You know, we want a part of this. It's it's going to be something special. And they've committed. And, and, And for them, you know, it's a smart thing just to go ahead, commit. If you think that USC is going to be the school for you, get your foot in the door, and then the, the coaches are pretty you know, eased and laid back about kids taking official visits still after that point. So really it's a win-win for any recruit that if you have a scholarship offer from USC and you feel like USC is probably the school for you, then commit, and then you can go and take your official visits, and if you find something better, then you're going to go ahead and decommit. I mean, there's nothing that says the kids can't do that. And I think USC is really being one of those schools that is on the front end of – Seeing that that goes both ways, seeing that, you know, if you're going to look around, then we're going to look around. We're not in a position where we can fudge with the numbers and go ahead and have kids decommit late in the process and say, oh, well, we'll get that back next year because it's just not possible. They are restricted to a certain amount every year and so this is one of those things where you know they're going through the process and they're going to see some kids take some official visits there's even some guys already that you know and I won't name names in the 2013 class that are already committed that might be wavering a little bit that are committed you know USC is going to be pretty proactive in making sure that they they you know take care of themselves and don't get hung out to dry here in in January uh, or you know really late in the process
0: all right. Well, let's jump into some of these questions, Gerard. Um, we had one that had to deal with uh, Silas Red. This is from Brian. Um, you know, when they when there was talk about you know one of the ways to free up a scholarship would be one of the former walk-ons that is currently on scholarship. One of those three uh, could give up their scholarship. And then he writes, although I don't like the idea of taking away scholarships from these former walk-ons, wouldn't it make sense for USC to try and use all three of these potential spots and recruit transfers? Who could possibly address specific areas of need, like on the defensive line? If the thinking is to do everything possible within the rules to win a national championship, it seems to make sense to also shore up the defense, which, in my mind, is a greater weakness on the team than offense. Thanks for your reply, and that's Brian. So he, he doesn't want to get one transfer. He wants to get three.
1: Well, it's true that you, you could do that, but you also have to weigh – sometimes walk-ons become players that are better than guys that you could get in and transfer – you know sometimes you can look at across the board and really with transfers you're looking at a very small pool of talent and mainly because you know a regular transfer is going to have to sit out a year so you got to keep that in mind too this Silas Red situation is unique because he's going to be able to come in and play this year and play this year at a position that USC needs running backs this year okay that's that's the specific thing number 2 uh, when you're dealing with transfers, you're dealing with a lot of guys that, um, you know, they're transferring for a reason. So you're not usually going to be an all-conference-level player. You're kicking butt, taking names. You're a guy that's on the NFL watch list, and all of a sudden you're going to say, you know what, I just want to transfer. I just want to leave right now and go somewhere else and sit out a year and then, you know, go play in the next year at USC because USC is going to be a better position for me for whatever reasons." That doesn't usually happen. So, again, the pool of talent – is really restrictive. You can look at guys that are fifth-year seniors that have already graduated, which have the ability to go and transfer and play the next year immediately. We saw that with Russell Wilson going from North Carolina State to Wisconsin. But again, that's a small group of guys. So it's not like you're just looking at free agency and all these good players that are out there uh, that, that could you know end up being impact players or contributors to USC. You're going and you're recruiting and you're trying to get. It's not how it works. First, and, and the, I guess third of all, the fact that USC can't actually go out and recruit those guys. You can't go out there and contact guys. You can't, you know, kind of even just put your ear to the ground and, and put some feelers out there to see anybody interested. Would you like to come to USC? We have a spot for you. You can't do that either. The Penn State situation, again, was unique because the NCAA allowed schools to go in and recruit those players. So it's just not as easy as, as you would want it to be. I mean you know you look at uh guys like Abe Markowitz who you know if he's healthy and he's able to play that's your backup center. that's a pretty important guy on the roster for you yeah. um there's there's you know you can, so again you have to you have to kind of look and contrast you know who we have as opposed to who we might be able to get if the circumstances allowed it and in most of these circumstances you're not going to be able to just you know recruit a, a five star you know NFL draft pick level guy uh, from the SEC um, just because, you know, maybe USC has a need.
0: And if you were talking about more Penn State guys, um, I mean, Lane Kiffin made it clear that was the only one that they really wanted to go after. I could see maybe going after a defensive tackle or something like that as well. But uh, those any transfer is still going to be an initial counter. So then you're you're really taking away a recruit too. So it's not just, is this better than the, the walk-on he's replacing, but you're also potentially taking away a new recruit that could come in too. So he's got to balance everything. I think taking one transfer at the most is, is probably the smart way to go, and that's that's obviously the way he went. Um, let's go to Anthony Gerard. He asks, uh, what will the USC coaches be telling guys like Willis and Goodman? So he's talking about Priest Willis and Tahan Goodman, uh, who they are still recruiting now that the 18 spots have been filled. I was hearing whispers. If a possible silent commit by a DB, anything to that, fight on and go red. He's talking about red, uh, Silas Red.
1: <laughs> red turned Cardinal and gold. Red to um, two Ds. Yes, uh, there's a lot to that. Um, I won't get into names, but as far as what USC will talk to Priest Willis and Tom Goodman about, we're not 100% sure. Because, again, we're still at that point where we're trying to figure out how can USC actually bring in another recruit for the 2013 class with things the way they are with Silas Red in. I've heard plenty of plenty about that happening, but still it's kind of confusing as to how it can happen. Um, as far as what they tell them from a recruiting process standpoint, if there is another spot available in 2013, they're telling them we've got one more spot for 2013. Get or get off the pot. That's basically how it comes. You, you cannot wait for signing day. You can't wait to the last minute after all your official visits to make that decision. We need to know now who's in with us and then continue to recruit you as a commit, which is obviously a little different. Now, you can kind of want to believe that the recruiting process ends at that point for those kids, but it does still continue. And there's still a little bit of – You know, although you can try to get these kids all committed, how much does it really mean to be committed at this point? Uh, just because you say, oh, yeah, okay, I'm publicly I'm verbally committed to USC, does that mean that that's, there's an impossibility that in January you don't have three or four guys that all of a sudden start wavering his commits? I mean, we saw it last year with, uh, with Pio uh the 6'3", 265-pound um, defensive tackle from Northern California who kind of went through the process, committed to USC during the summer, was all SC for the longest time, and then in January he took a couple official visits. He started saying, well, you know what, my mom really likes Cal because Cal's closer to home. Well, he ends up at Washington. Now, you know, Washington isn't very close to home, but that's where he ended up going. Tosh Lapoy goes from Cal, goes to Washington. Seems like Tosh Lapoy was a bigger reason uh, for him committing to Washington or even looking at Cal than Cal being close to home was. So that was probably just an excuse. How do you stop that from happening? It doesn't really matter. I mean, he committed during the summer. His dad was all USC fan. Yeah, Mom, maybe he had some reservations. But at the end of the day, the kid just decided to go to Washington because probably playing time, and he liked Tosh LaPoy. So you can't really stop that from happening. You can have as many commits as you want to over the summer, but at the end of the day, if those kids are going to waver and they're going to decide, hey, I don't want to be a part of this class, and they're not going to be a part of this class. Now, granted, because things are kind of set and the kids in the class know who else is in the class, that could be something that that helps solidify things. I mean, the defensive linemen, there's five defensive linemen in the class. They all kind of have – To know where each other are. They've all played with each other. They've been at the five star challenge or they've been at the opening together. They all kind of know each other. So there's a lot more time to be comfortable with, okay, yeah, I know there's five defensive linemen in this class. I know that's all USC is going to recruit. Or the defensive backs, you know, I know there's five defensive backs in this class. I know that's all USC is going to recruit. So there's not that open endedness and there's not that, oh, well, they're trying to get this other kid from Florida and all of a sudden that starts changing your mind towards the end of the season. So there is a little bit of that that goes into. You know, solidifying the class early. But again, it doesn't mean that somebody's not going to be able to get in a kid's ear and say, hey, look it look at USC's class, look at who they have on the roster. You're not going to play there early. You come here, you're going to catch 80 balls as a true freshman, and you're going to be an All-American. And the kid doesn't say, you know what, I love I love that. I, you know, that makes no sense that I'm going to catch 80 balls as a freshman even though you probably didn't have one receiver or all your receivers put together catch 80 balls last year. But you know what, I'm so good that I know I'm going to be able to do that and decides to go to that school instead and decommits, you know, January 29th. It's possible. It can still happen. So we have to continue to remind people of that.
0: Okay. Uh, Charlie wanted to know, he sent this in before Silas red actually uh, decided to come to USC, but, um, he said, if he, if he transfers to USC, which he now has, do you think Nelson Aguilar moves back to wide receiver? If Silas, um, I'm sorry. Yeah. So if Silas red transfers to USC, do you think Nelson Aguilar would move back to wide receiver?
1: I don't think Nelson Aguilar was ever really not going to play receiver. <laughs> and you and I have both talked about it, and you've seen him several times over the past couple of weeks play in person. I just don't see Nelson Aguilar playing running back. I don't think he has the body to play running back. I just don't think that's his position. I think he's going to be too good a receiver for Lane Kiffin to put him at running back. Obviously now it becomes a lot easier because you have a – contributor that is a guy that has some production under his belt he's older he's more experienced he's smart he fits into your system better so you don't have to you know make that happen you don't have to make you know wine out of water uh, with the running back situation because you have a guy that can play there and has some uh some numbers behind him but i never really believed nelson aguilar was going to play running back
0: i uh do not believe that either Okay, Gerard, let's go to some voicemail questions. We've got a couple of voicemail questions for you. Here's the first one.
1: Hey, guys. I just see that um, Vernon Hargraves is going to Florida. What in the world happened here? Uh, you know, he was committed and decommitted within, what, four or five days? What's the backstory here? Thanks. Well, the backstory story is that he never actually committed to USC. He announced that USC was his leader, after his unofficial visit uh, earlier this month and had been gone on unofficial visits to Alabama. Uh, He went to an unofficial visit to Notre Dame. So he was still going through the process, but now not had yet actually committed to any single school. Uh, Ended up committing to Florida, big get for Florida. His sister goes to Florida. Uh, I actually personally thought he would end up at Miami. There was a lot of conversation with his mom and there's some talk uh, with uh, the family and Miami just seemed to be the school that they really held in the highest regard, uh, especially educationally. That was like a big deal for them. Uh, Vernon's father had actually coached at Miami a number of years uh, with Butch Davis and uh, Larry Colker. Um So Miami kind of seemed like the school that was going to be the team to beat for him, uh, but he ended up going to Florida. That was another school that you know a lot of people thought earlier in the process was actually the school that he would go to. Um, but, uh, no, he ended up in Florida. Never was a commit for USC.
0: All right, we got another one more voice voicemail question for you. Here you go.
1: Hi, Ryan and Gerard. I was just wondering if an incoming freshman does not meet admission requirements, would USC be able to
0: add an extra recruit to the 2013 class, providing that the recruit is an early enrollee? And if so, does that open up a spot for the
1: Robinson twins? Thanks. Well, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Silas Red and Silas Red, you know how he can count for Will Andrews' scholarship right now to get USC under that 75 going into fall camp, and then shifting that if that Darius Rogers does not make it in uh, to fall camp uh, after you know fall camp basically starts, because it does not sound like we're going to know about you know where his academics stand before that point. So he's not going to know, and USC's not going to really know what his transcripts are like until they get into fall camp. And they already have to set that fall camp. From what I understand, they have to set that 75 roster going into fall camp. Um, so that there's some shifting there. If Silas Red ends up actually shifting over to Darius Rogers' spot, then obviously that pretty much takes care, take care of itself. And that takes also care of that spot for the 2013 class. So we would think USC would probably have to stay at 18. But again... There's some things there, some loopholes that might be there that where Silas Red ends up staying on Will Andrew's scholarship offer kind of still makes us question you know, that initial ride, How you know what is it counting towards and, and how you do that. Um, and then if he was able to do that, then that would allow if Darius Rogers wasn't able to make it in for 2013 for them to bring in another uh, commitment for that 2013 class, pushing him to 19. But at this point, we're still very – curious and and kind of confused as to whether that can happen or not
0: okay uh we got a couple more and we'll uh wrap it up for this week andrew wants to know does max brown actually think he will beat out kessler or wittick for a starting job next year that's the incoming freshman well soon to be incoming freshman 2013 uh quarterback commit max brown
1: yes max brown does believe that if he didn't believe that i don't think he would be committed to usc right now
0: Right, it's. I mean, I. I don't. I. I guess you have to understand that these kids' mindset are to come in and and win jobs. And I think the coaches give them that opportunity. If he, if there was no shot for him to to win that job either the first year he's there or or win it further down the road, I, I wouldn't see why he wouldn't come to USC.
1: Yeah, and, and Max Brown is is a really good player. I think that a lot of opinions have been made about him at these seven on seven tournaments and these big camps. He's not a wow type quarterback that's going to come in and blow you away with his arm strength. He's very accurate. He's very measured in his passes. He's very smart and he's a good leader. And I think he is better playing in game time situations where he's able to manage the game more. And let's understand when you're talking about these offenses nowadays, you have to be able to manage the game. That was a bad word, you know, just a few years ago with quarterbacks. They talked about Tom Brady how he was a game manager. <laughs> he wasn't a guy with a big arm, and people went well. That's why he didn't get drafted very high. You can be one of those recruiting analysts that you can go out there in the field and you're looking for, well, who throws the ball the farthest? Who throws the ball the fastest? Who's got the big arm? Who's that guy with the slick back hair that looks like, you know, Mr. GQ quarterback guy? But none of that stuff matters at the end of the day. If you cannot be able to manage your offense, you can't pass the ball throughout your progressions get the ball down to your check downs make sure you make the smart passes you don't make any of the dumb passes and one thing that we did is we actually interviewed dan hawkins who was the coach uh for the field generals at the opening passing tournament and I talked to Dan Hawkins a lot about Max Brown because he was there coaching him, and, and, and Dan Hawkins has actually been around Max Brown a lot over the past couple of years. And the one thing that Dan Hawkins said repeatedly was that he loved Max Brown because of the passes he didn't make, because he didn't throw a bunch of interceptions, he didn't put his team in bad situations with trying to force the ball in. And I think Max actually learned even more so during the summer that he can't do that. We saw him at the five-star challenge, and he actually did try to force some passes in across the middle. I think he started to understand, listen, the safeties here, the linebackers here, the speed at this level is much more. These guys can react faster. I can't get away with certain things. So he started to dial it down a little bit and be a little more conservative, and that's fine. I mean, in an offense where you've got guys like Robert Woods and Marquise Lee and and the kind of tight ends that USC has – the talent around you, you can dial it down, spread the ball around, be even keeled about it and don't give the defense the ball uh, in in situations where, you know, all of a sudden now the other offense is on your 20 yard line and they're going to score. So, you know, it's conservative, but it's really winning football games.
0: All right. One last one, Gerard. Matt wants to know of the three 2014 offensive line commits, are any of those guys five-star caliber? Or do you think they're all like three and four-star guys?
1: You know, we actually talked about this a couple weeks ago. I think if there's a guy there that's a five-star level guy early on, it's probably going to be Casey Tucker, Uh, 6'5", 275-pound offensive tackle uh, from Chandler Hamilton High School, really has that look, he looks like Drago from Rocky. You remember the Rocky uh, series there? He looks like Drago. That's that's. I will break you. He looks like that guy. He looks like the big Russian blonde, you know, has the physique, ha- has the, the just that look of a guy that's, you know, athletic. He's tough. He's strong. Um, he's going to be able to put on tons more weight. Um, he's going to be a big-time player. And I think just, you know, not even – On paper, but, you know, just watching him be able to progress and, you know, watching at the five-star challenge, how he got better and better and he started to kind of get a feel for the competition level. That's really tough for a junior to be, to walk into when you had those kind of defensive linemen. You had guys like Carl Lawson. You had guys like Andrew Brown. You had guys like, uh, you know, Deshaun Hand. Um, you know, Kenny Bigelow, I mean, it was absolutely stacked. Quite frankly, I think it was more stacked than the opening was as far as uh, defensive linemen. So, you know, a guy to be able to go in there and hold his own in that situation and that competition level I think speaks a lot for him. And I think um, he's got a possibility to be a five-star guy. I think the guy that's definitely – The biggest intriguing question mark coming into next year, I think, of a lot of the class, I mean, not just offensive linemen, but maybe across the board, is going to be Jordan Pollock. Uh, Jordan Pollock, 6'8", 335 pounds. I mean, on paper, he looks a lot like a Chantrell Henderson. Played basketball, um, you know, plays against inferior competition at La Jolla Country Day High School. That's going to be a big question mark for him, but I think if he gets out to some camps, and he shows his athleticism at that size. It's going to excite a lot of people, and we're just going to have to see, you know, if if how much it excites them. You know, already being a USC commit, and the fact that USC decided to go on him early is always is already going to put, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, looking at him and, and thinking favorably of him. I mean, USC's not just going to offer some big offensive lineman. Uh, just because he's 6'8, I and mean, it's not going to happen. So people are already going to go, okay, this guy's got to be a big time guy. If he goes and backs up with the athleticism, then there's a possibility, then, you know, he may be a five star guy somewhere down the line. But I think initially, you're probably looking at Casey Tucker being probably the best bet to be that.
0: All right. Well, Gerard, thanks again for coming on the show and apologize for that week off. There's not going to be as much, we're not going to do as many recruiting podcasts because there's really just not as much recruiting talk right now. We think. Who knows? Hopefully. When there's, yeah. <laughs> Don't hold your breath, yeah. But uh, thanks again, Gerard, for coming on the show.
1: Thank you for having me, always. And um, we'll see if uh, the recruiting process slows down here in the next couple months. I hope it does, but never know. It's yeah. USC, it's Lane Kiffin, and they love recruiting.
0: They definitely do. All right, well, thanks again, Gerard, and everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Next podcast scheduled for Monday. Uh, August 6th, that will be the first day of fall camp. Fall camp is at night, so we will have a podcast in the morning kind of giving you a preview of what to expect. We'll be back to our regular schedule then. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.